other day, I was talking with somebody about my love of instrumental surf music and how it really has developed more and more over the years while producing Monster Kid Radio. And it got me thinking about all the different bands that I've played here over the years on the show. I'm proud to say that every single one of these bands has given us permission to play their music here on the show. And I would love to think that we've generated a few sales for them along the way, you know, directing listeners to check out some of these bands when they're done listening to this episode or whatever episode of the podcast. And because I was thinking about all that, I started getting a little nostalgic about some of the bands that allowed us to play their music near the very beginning of Monster Kid Radio. And one of those bands was the band Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. They're a surf band based out of Boston, Massachusetts. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to double check. I don't think I've played the song. I see them heads, but not them bodies by the band. So that's what we're playing this week on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook, the writer, host, and producer of the show. So yeah, like I said, I see them heads, but not them bodies is by Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. It is from their self-titled album that came out in May of 2020. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can pick it up yourself. In the meantime, though, if you want to go there right now, ghostscorpion.bandcamp.com is where you're going to want to go to check out all of their music. This week on the show, we're talking about stop motion animation. Now... I know when we talk about stop motion, there are a couple of names that you immediately think about. One of them being Ray Harryhausen. Well, we're not talking about Ray this time around. Listen to me use his first name like I was friends with the guy. We're not talking about Harryhausen's work this time around. I mean, Harryhausen, the man, the master, the magician. Wow, just his work is stellar and unbelievably cool. But there are a few other names that you might also associate with stop motion animation and that's what we're talking about this time around with stop motion animator ryan lingle and i actually got his name right this time because that was my first question for him when i had him on the show when i did a little bit of an interview with him we're going to talk a little bit about his background how he got involved with josh kennedy and some of the kennedy movies that he's worked on you know how he got involved with that what he did what his process was and then we're going to do one of our top three lists we're going to talk about our top three Monster movies featuring stop-motion animation, not by Harryhausen. That is a mouthful. I'll come up with a better way to uh, describe this week's episode before I put the episode out so that the title doesn't, you know, go over the screen. You know what I mean. So I'm going to tell you guys and gals right now. There's a couple things. First of all, I had some microphone issues. I don't know what happened. Uh, I'm actually going to be tearing down my computer system within the next few weeks and putting it back together again. Not that I'm doing a lot of computer upgrades or anything like that, but I've got, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got like nine things hooked up to various USB ports, one of them being a USB hub to allow the nine things. And three of them are microphones. And I don't know what happened. My system was registering one microphone as being on when it wasn't even plugged in. And as I was trying to do the recording, this regular microphone that I'm using, that I'm not going to bother tapping because I don't want to blow out your eardrums, is what I was trying to use, but it wouldn't register that. It only registered my lavalier mic, but the lavalier mic wasn't even hooked up. It was actually picking up audio off of one of my webcams, and it was a whole complicated mess. So I'm going to rewire all of that stuff sometime in the very near future to prevent this from happening again. 
I did what I could to make the audio sound great, and Ryan sounds awesome. It's just my side of the conversation that sometimes sounds like I'm talking through an old-school telephone. Sometimes you lose all the bass altogether, and I sound like a little child, and it's a mess. But Ryan's great, and he's the one that you're here to listen to anyway, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm going to warn you about, please don't come after me with torches and pitchforks because of how I ranked my top three movies. I understand, but please forgive me. Okay, in addition to that conversation with Ryan, we also have Kenny here with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, where he's going to take a look at one of his favorite non-Harryhausen stop-motion monster movies and how it was covered in that iconic magazine. And guess who's back? Mark Matsky's back with the Beta Capsule Review with Episode 3 of Ultraman. He's going to break down the episode and tell you all about it. That's all coming up. You know what? Let's just get to it uh, right now. His arm inflamed with the thunderbolts shall come back to Athens and reclaim the throne you have stolen. One day, perhaps, but this is not that day. You shall never be rid of me. Don't lose hope, Ariadne. Minos shall be defeated. You fools! Who can save you? Marco Munoz as Theseus, the son of a god with a heart of gold, destined to be the king of Athens. Joshua Kennedy as Minos, the evil sorcerer. Look into the eye of despair. Jamie Trevino as Ariadne, the princess turned warrior who dared to challenge the will of Minos. Gus Kennedy as Gregorius. Brian Warren as Bacchus. Tom Pearson as Castor. Bo Elizondo as Deimos and Michael Albus as Aegis. Adventure beyond belief. A spectacle beyond imagination. Theseus and the Minotaur. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, Plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print 
or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. During an investigation in the Kanto region, Fuji follows Hoshino down into a well, where the youngster glimpses a giant eyeball moments before a hydroelectric plant is mysteriously destroyed. Thus begins the third episode of Ultraman, Move Out Science Patrol. True to its title, the Science Patrol moves out to the site of the power plant, where an eyewitness informs them of a monster who is both hungry for electricity and mostly invisible. Having been located safely, Fuji and Hoshino confirm the presence of a transparent creature. An attack on a transmission station affords the opportunity for Arashi and Hayata to finally lay eyes on Naranga, which appears when it absorbs electricity. Arashi is nearly electrocuted by a lightning bolt from Naranga's horn, and the monster escapes. Back at Science Patrol headquarters, the team considers the long-term implications of Tokyo losing power as Hoshino sneaks off with Arashi's famous spider-shot weapon, determined to get Naranga himself. When the combined might of the military and Science Patrol fail to defend another large power plant from Naranga's rampage, it is up to Ultraman to intervene. Unfortunately, Hoshino gets his wish, a toe-to-toe matchup with a high-voltage monster. Naranga, played here by Haruo Nakajima of Godzilla fame, is a monster with great staying power. He's appeared in numerous Ultraman series right up to the most recent Ultraman Z, and appears in the trailer to the upcoming Shin Ultraman film by the same team that produced Shin Godzilla. Having said that, Naranga doesn't give Ultraman much of a challenge here, as his bulk seems to work against him. Move Out Science Patrol is a very shrewdly constructed episode, creating a world in which a school-age boy can participate in fantastic adventures, battle kaiju, and take matters into his own hands without being reprimanded. In every way, Hoshino is treated as a member of the team. Clearly, the good people of Subaraya Productions knew who was watching and why. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Today was like any other, the hum of daily activity until... Reptilicus. A beast born 50 million years out of time, spreading terror in its path, destruction in its wake, towering over the cities of the world. Reptilicus. Invincible, indestructible. Reptilicus. In color from American International. Even after you see it, you won't believe it. Reptilicus. Nothing can stop it. The Blob. Starring Steve McQueen. It creeps. It crawls. It's slithery. It's slimy. The Blob. Plus Dinosaurus, both in shrieking color. (laughs) 
Hello there, Monster Kid Radiohead. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are looking at non-Harryhausen stop-motion animation movies. FM covered what I consider one of the best when in issue 83 from April of 1971, it tackled When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. In a six-page, four-photo article, it presented this most Harryhausen-like prehistoric film. Let's take a look. Another dinosaur film? With 1 million years BC, only three years old, it seems strange that Hammer Film Studios would attempt another ambitious prehistoric project so soon. Yet they did. And the results promised to be even more exciting than the remake of their original Victor Mature film. When fans get wind of the fact that Ray Harryhausen would be handling the special effects on 1 million years BC, they knew that the film would be an animated success. For when dinosaurs ruled the Earth, the stop-motion monsters are handled by Jim Danforth, who worked on Jack the Giant Killer, the sea serpent in Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, and the dragon in The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. The original story and screenplay for When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth was written by Val Guest, who fantasy film fans will remember for his realistic flick, The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Like One Million Years B.C., there is no real dialogue in When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. With the help of a kind of basic cave language invented for the previous film, Guest created a vocabulary of 25 primitive words which the cave people use to converse with each other. So it isn't just nonsense that the actors are speaking. Those are real words. Choosing a location for a film that's supposed to be taking place at the dawn of time is an extremely hard thing to do. You always have to watch out for telephone poles, jet planes, and things like that. One mistake and the illusion is lost. Guests wanted a location that would help Danforth create so high a standard of illusion that the audience would feel they were right there with the monsters. He wanted them to get the smell and sense of prehistoric times and their own ancestors fighting for the survival that launched us into what we are today. They selected an isle called Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands, which had never been used before in a film. Guests in the film company climbed 5,000-foot mountains and crawled into gigantic yawning chasms and ravines to capture a landscape that was right out of the beginning of time. The cast and crew ran into more than their share of problems while filming When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. The temperature in the Canary Islands was more than 95 degrees during the filming, which meant hot, thirsty work for all involved. Tremendous quantities of ice drinks were flown in from London to make the company more comfortable. The only hotel in the area big enough to accommodate everyone was not yet completed when the filming began, so the crew had to set up its own headquarters. Hammer Studios and producer Ida Young jetted Raquel Welch to stardom when they featured her in One Million Years B.C. For Hammer's new dinosaur epic, they chose American actress Victoria Vetri, blonde and beautiful. The 21-year-old Victoria played the ill-fated Terry in Rosemary's Baby. Co-starring is young British actor Robin Hodden, who plays Tara, the real stars of the film. A 25-foot-long chasmosaur, a triceratops-like creature with long, pointed horns, a pterodactyl with a monstrous wingspan that picks up the hero and carries him away, a plesiosaur, a long-necked monster that dwells in the ocean, gigantic man-eating crabs, plus a generous assortment of prehistoric creatures realistically done via stop-motion photography. These are the real stars of the picture, and the film's creators have been given a chance to display their talent in this field. The film's special effects people did more than just animate the monsters, seen in the film, an impressive enough task. They set up the live-action shots that would later be incorporated with the animation footage, 
and created a large number of matte paintings, illustrations on glass that are used as backgrounds for the film. The Trouble with Monsters Several effects scenes that looked good on the drawing board proved to be impossible to shoot. For example, it was originally planned to have the pterodactyl swoop down, lift up Terra, and carry him away all in the same shot, without stopping the camera. However, the location chosen for the scene was right at the foot of a mountain. If the shot was filmed as planned, the pterodactyl would have wound up smashing itself into the side of the rock. Another sequence written into the script had huge prehistoric ants attacking the cave people. The live-action footage of men fleeing from the ants was shot, and a full-size mock-up was even built and strapped onto the back of one of the extras. But it was later decided that the animation for this scene would be too expensive and take too long to complete. The special effects men soon discovered there were just too many complicated animation sequences in the tidal wave scene. The original script called for scenes of pterodactyls blowing in the wind and crashing against cliffs, and into villages and similar scenes that would have been nice to do, but would have cost far too much money and taken too long a time to animate. When Dinosaurs Rule the Screen The film has had an extremely long production schedule. There was six weeks of pre-production work followed by 13 more weeks of intensive live-action filming. Then the special effects people went to work on the animation, which took 17 months to complete. The finished product, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, should be appearing at your local theater soon. It's a film packed with animated adventures and excitement in the great Harryhausen tradition. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. From the creators of One Million B.C. When dinosaurs ruled the Earth. It is the beginning. The darkest age of all. The wings of a monstrous bird darken the sky. A great beast lumbers forth in search of prey. A beautiful virgin is marked for death. It is the beginning, a time of terror, pagan worship, human sacrifice. From across the shadowy abyss of time, Warner Brothers brings you... When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. Rated G, General Audiences. Beloved throughout the ages, by all ages. Such indeed is the glamorous legend of the ancient kingdom of Cornwall and of its greatest hero, Jack the Giant Killer. Hail to Sir Jack! To Jack the Giant Killer! Hail to Jack! Starring Kerwin Matthews, star of the seventh voyage of Sinbad, and Judy Meredith. Those were the days when giants roamed the countryside. at such a time that a young farmer, single-handed, fought and overcame one of the most fearsome giants who ever ravaged the land. After three years in the making, Hollywood brings you the amazing story of Jack's adventures and the fabulous dangers he encountered when he dared to set himself up against the black prince of all witches, Pendragon. Pendragon had carried off the princess held her under a magic spell, and now used his mighty powers to keep Jack from saving her. See Jack's terrific ordeal with the Witches of the Wind.
with the armored warriors of the dragon's teeth. His encounter with the monstrous two-headed giant. See the enchanted doll that came to life and made a princess dance with joy. Sail with Jack the Giant Killer. Share his thrilling adventures on the high seas. Meet his young friend Peter, Sigurd the Viking, and the lovable imp of the bottle. A little toy man. Insulting a leprechaun. A toy, you say? Oh, for that there'll be the devil to pay. See his face-to-face -face clash with Pendragon himself. <laughs> And above all, don't miss Jack's gigantic battle with the flying harpy. You'll agree, Jack the Giant Killer is the greatest! Kid Radio listeners, I've been wanting to have Ryan on the show for a while, and he'll send me an email, and I'll say, yeah, sure, let's make it happen, and then I never follow up with him, and just, it's been years in the making, and finally, I've got Ryan on the show, and I suspect I've been mispronouncing your last name wrong the entire time. Pretty close, I mean, close enough. It's Lengel. The Y is silent. It throws people off, but... Ryan Lengel. Excellent. Got it. Right on. So, Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Derek. It has been way too long. A show long in the making. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you don't recognize Ryan's name, it's because you're not paying attention to the credits in Cowgirls vs. Pterodactyls. Ryan is a stop-motion artist, stop-motion animator, and he also worked on Theseus and the Minotaur, uh, two movies directed by our friend Josh Kennedy. Uh, you have been a fan of stop motion for a while, I assume, and I know you've done some other projects as well. I'm excited to talk about that particular craft with you here on the show. All right, I'm ready. Is this something that you've been doing for a long time? Like, how did you get involved with this? When I was like like five years old, I had a uh, Super 8 camera, but that was like in the mid '80s, and it was even then it was like hard to film for that. So I just pretend I was basically making movies with my little uh, toy Godzilla and dinosaurs and I'd like bury them in the mud and just go through the act of pretending I was doing stop motion. And then later uh, I had access to a like VHS camcorder. So I would basically click on and off. You know, you couldn't do uh, frame by frame with that method, but I'd get as close as I can, and then I would go through some ridiculous stuff like fast-forwarding it and recording onto another VHS while I was dubbing in audio from a uh, cassette uh, karaoke machine. Just like ridiculous stuff to try to do this sort of thing. I probably would have given up on it, but once uh, G-Fest started, or back then it was G-Con, 
I was able to enter something in that and uh, got a good reaction. And everyone, you know, I tried to make things like pretty funny because I know uh, starting out at least the animation was not there. So, yeah, I got a good reaction from the crowd and people were laughing. And uh, I thought if it even if the animation isn't good enough, at least it'll be funny enough that it'll hold someone's attention for five minutes. And I uh, just kept uh, kind of going from there. I stopped for about 10 years or so and got back into it because I just kind of sitting around thinking, well, I could, I could do better now. Now there's better technology. And I just kept thinking about it and decided to try my hand at it again. And that kind of leads us up to now. Yeah. When you were getting into all this, working with Josh was not the first project that I became aware of you on. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, the B-Movie cast. You did a couple of, of shorts that you sent to them, right? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I did uh, two shorts based on a two-headed dinosaur character. I'm a screen printer by day, so I listen to podcasts all day, basically. So I was you know, listening to the B-Movie cast, and that's where I first learned about your old podcast and started listening to that one. And, you know, and by the way, I've listened to every... <laughs> Monster Kid Radio from the beginning. So, you know, long time. It's like a dream come true, to, you know, to be on here. Uh, but. Oh. <laughs> well, we were talking about, I became aware of you through the B movie cast because I thought it was through there that, yeah, it's pretty much through the B movie cast that I heard about the Beast from 20 zillion years ago. Yeah, the Beast from 20 zillion years ago. It was uh, 2012. Yeah, I uh, brought my model uh, to. Uh, kind of show off at the monster bash i forget if it was showing there that year i think it was i had the model there and i kind of was aware of vince for a few years just hearing his voice there but i'm kind of shy so like the first year i was like that sounds like that guy from the b movie cast but didn't say anything and the next year i was like hi vince uh i like your show and he was like that's weird that someone would talk to me but <laughs> you know <laughs> One thing, you know, I loved about B-Movie Cast was uh, those early episodes where it was just Vince talking, I could relate to because I felt like that's what I would sound like if I had a podcast, <laughs> you know, where <laughs> so I was like, oh, I love this guy, you know, he was very uh, unassuming. And uh, I mean, I, I miss the guy, you know, um, you know R.I.P. Vince. He was a very unassuming kind of humble guy and just always seemed not necessarily taken aback, but kind of surprised at the impact and the spread that his his voice and his his podcast had. So yeah, I totally understand what you're saying about it. I can envision that interaction. <laughs> right. That year, I think I also, I had some extra shirts lying around at the shop I had to do something with. So I made like a right. movie cast sort of logo. I was just kind of a you know, t-shirts they sell, yeah. Those those first ones I printed by hand, and I was just like, I'm just going <laughs> to give these to this guy, and then maybe that'll make an impression, and he'll be like, oh, that guy, you know. And it kind of worked, and I gave him a copy of the movie, and he was, like, really supportive, and I think we appreciated what, what each other, what we were doing, and uh, kind of made friends with him mm -hmm. through that, and, you know, we'd just shoot each other little emails every once in a while and he got nick brown also of the b-movie cast a packet of sea monkeys and that was kind of a running joke and i thought that would be a great uh character for uh 
the beast from 20 zillion years ago. So I made a second one and, you know, the animation was a little better. You know, the first one, I wasn't even sure. It was just a an exercise in uh, seeing if I could still do it. And it was better than the stuff I used to do by far, just being able to use uh, modern programs and a digital, uh, just like a little webcam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was a couple of years what was it, 2015 when uh, the second one showed and and at monster bash ron had uh myself and joshua kennedy uh had some back-to-back programming so we kind of saw each other's stuff and i know when i saw his short of uh you know him singing to martin beswick i thought this guy is like a maniac and he you know i think said something similar to me and it was kind of like chocolate and peanut butter like yeah well you know we got to do something together someday and i think we both felt that way and then a few more years went by and you know how it goes we're just kind of doing our thing and then you know one day josh sent me a some kind of message about doing theseus and i could have stopped doing animation there because uh, i was about to become a dad or I got suddenly had a lot less time but you know that opportunity to do that kind of animation for a live action film was kind of like a not like a pipe dream I had but I never actually like I kind of didn't think it was something that would happen in the 21st century unless I were to do it myself which I didn't have time at that point but very grateful to Joshua for you know, extending that opportunity for me. And I feel like, you know, I've learned a lot working on those projects with him. So these two shorts uh, are on your YouTube page, The Beast from 20 zillion years ago and Night of the Beast from 20 zillion years ago. I want to make sure there's links in the show notes for these, if that's all right with you. I want to make sure people get a chance to see them because I love them. I think they're fun. Uh, and I love the little in-jokes, especially like in Night of the Beast, where you've got Subarai's Garage, you know, <laughs> I just love the little the little nods, you know? Oh, yeah. So we'll make sure that's in there. And so you did uh, Theseus and the Minotaur, and you were responsible for, well, the Minotaur effects. But you also did, like, the giant turtle, didn't you? Yeah, the giant turtle and the giant mm-hmm. bird that's also When I said yes to that, I had, like, I always knew just enough to do kind of the goofy stuff that I did with, like, you know, very lo-fi and you pretty much see all the seams and i thought well i kind of have to up my game for this one so so i and i and i think it comes across somewhat so i'm proud of it do you do this like in front of a green screen then and then he just keys it all out and puts it into his film like what is the process there i've always wondered about that uh yeah pretty much i have a uh wooden table kind of built out of two by fours pretty small just down in the corner of my uh, basement and just a roll of uh, okay. green paper that makes a pretty good green screen. So, yeah. I wasn't sure how all that was going to work, but I pretty much would send Josh the animation and he did his magic from there, you know. With Theseus, he sent me the the live action footage when there was a lot of interaction. So kind of like with Corin Matthews, you know, fighting the skeleton, I had... Uh, you know, the raw live action footage that I could kind of animate along to and like hit all the marks and get the timing. 
And uh, with this last one, I really didn't see any footage of all. He just sent drawings and said, uh, this is what happened. Like the pterodactyl flies up, just kind of kind of basic instructions. And I wasn't even sure sometimes like what kind of scene I was animating for. So just to see it all come back, uh, how it all worked together, I was I was kind of worried about it not being able to match the lighting and, uh, you know, how is this going to look? But really, whatever he's doing, <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls. I always, it is Cowgirls first, right? Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls, not the other way around. Yeah. Yep. Whenever I'm describing it to somebody, I say it out loud and then I realize, oh, did I just screw it up? So, okay. Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls <laughs> is right. the, the most. We confused with Pterodactyls versus Cowgirls, which is a very separate. A different movie. Oh, are you working on that one too? No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I just law of averages that it has to be out there. So, <laughs> Jungles versus Pterodactyls is the most recent uh, release from the Josh Kennedy camp. Uh, he's always working on something, so I'm sure he's got like three or four movies in the works. Well, I know he's got something else in the works right now. Uh, he's been working on Mantipus and who knows what else. But if if I know Josh, <laughs> he's got four or five different things in the hopper already. I don't know where he yep. gets his energy. Does he sleep? I, I don't. I don't understand. But uh, so you did the the pterodactyls on that, and there's more than just you know. Oh, there's a flying bird in the sky. And then you did this with the Minotaur film too. Is that there's interaction with uh, human elements? So you have that wonderful stop motion person in the grip of a of a monster, and I I just love that when I see that because it makes me immediately think of Harryhausen. You know, uh, of the of the greats. And just, I adore that, man. I adore it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's a thrill to be able to have done that, yeah. How long does it take you to put something like that together? Are you doing it, you know, 30 frames a second since it's shot on video? Or, or how, how long does it take you to, to make something move like that? I try to do a 24 frames per second, but usually after I'll do a shot, I'll kind of play it back at different speeds and see what kind of uh sometimes it works a little best if it's uh mm -hmm. sped up or slowed down a little more um and i kind of settled into like 18 frames a second works for me pretty well because i can kind of get shots out a little quicker but uh it's smoother than uh shooting on uh you know doubling okay. each frame so i don't know much about the technical aspect of it i just kind of feel my way through it but you know i have my day job and i'm a family man so really i have kind of a window of about an hour or two after everyone goes to bed where i can work on this stuff so i kind of try to get a shot set up one night and do the animation the next night as much as possible and get into a groove that way right so you're not doing it like on the twos each frame is an individual movement then right right yeah exactly wow, wow. I, I have toyed with the idea Mentally, I haven't done anything else other than just think real hard about it. And I think maybe I picked up an app uh, for my uh, tablet to record something stop motion wise. But uh, I, I've always thought it'd be really neat to do a stop motion thing. But it just seems like such an overwhelming <laughs> uh, proposition because of all the work. I mean, you hear stories about Harry Housen and Company or people doing the film for you know the Tim Burton movies or, or anything like that that it just takes so many hours to get just a few seconds of life in front of the camera. How do you stay sane, man? <laughs> I, well, the secret is I don't. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, 
I was born in 1980 and uh, I think we're pretty close in age. I don't know how much longer after uh, my generation people you know kids wanted to do this but i feel like everyone who likes uh monster movies like at least from me and backwards at least thought about trying stop motion mm-hmm. or it's like one of the just natural things you you know you watch these movies and you know you just want to it's like i want to try that you know it's so i would say to you just don't well i know you, you've got you've also got a, a lot of other projects right. going on so maybe <laughs> Maybe put it off a little longer, but you know, hopefully, if anyone out there is listening and wants to try it, hopefully, this conversation will encourage you to say, like, well, if this nincompoop can do it, I might as well give it a shot too, because I want to see more stop motion. I miss it, and I want to see more of it. And if anyone wants to try it, like, please, <laughs> let's have it. So, so I'm a little bit older than you. I was born in '73, but I think we're both Generation X, so still, you know, whatever. But uh, the desire to do this kind of stuff for me, obviously, I watched, uh, you know, Sinbad and all that a couple of times during the day. It would turn up on TV. But it was the action figures that I played with growing up, right? I always wanted to animate or do something with, especially with my G.I. Joe action figures, because they had so many points of articulation compared to my Star Wars toys. And I thought, perfect. You know, I don't even have to worry about building the model. It's already there. But I never had access to the technology to do it. I, I would do these these really crude, crude things with my, my G.I. Joe toys. But the video camera that I had just shot on regular VHS and it had frame by frame kind of. It was really more second by second. So things were really oh, slow what? and herky-jerky, and I just got to the point where it just wasn't even... I just stopped trying because I didn't have access to anything else uh, technology-wise at the time. I, I did get an old 8mm camera, and as soon as I got it in my hands, I broke it because I didn't know what I was doing with it. And I was like, oh, what's this crank do? And then something snapped. So I couldn't do anything on film either. But yeah, man, did you ever do anything like that with like the toys? I mean, I see people on YouTube now doing things with like Godzilla figures and things like that, making them move back and forth. Is that something you would recommend people check out or try to do or do something totally original like you did with the, the Beast from a Zillion years ago? Well, yeah, there, I mean, a lot of the uh, toys that are made today are so well articulated. I don't actively collect a lot of like uh, Godzilla toys, but, you know, I saw some like they had some pretty cool ones at uh, stopping at Target on my way home. You could get get one for like 20 bucks. And, you know, my kid mostly uses it as a bath toy. But it's like you could do some pretty cool animation with this thing, you know. So I enjoy, you know, taking the raw materials and turning it into something uh you know just having like a pile of wire and uh glue and rubber and like making a character out of that and then eventually seeing it move like one of the best compliments i ever got was uh in uh, night of the beast after it was screened at monster bash uh mary rotolo said uh like oh i felt so bad when uh you know one of the heads was i thought it was hurt or that died or something i was like you felt something when you watch this like it's just like a <laughs> pile of garbage i got at the dollar store <laughs> so, so that's you know i appreciate that taking you know the raw materials and then seeing something that was moving around and you know might make someone laugh or feel something you know that's awesome that's incredibly cool man so you said it's like is it like clay that you're using or is it 
You said rubber earlier. Like, what are you making these things out of? It's pretty much a wire armature, like a aluminum wire. And then from there, I do the uh, Marcel Delgado thing, just building up uh, foam on top of that and then putting a rubber skin over top of that. Or fur, as, as the case may be. Don't use any molds or anything. Building the models is kind of a nice way to, uh, you know, when I sit down after work, I can, like, watch TV and just uh, work on something, put a movie on and whittle away at something. And then the animation part, once it gets to that point, is kind of, like, where the stress comes in. I could never settle on, like, what kind of hobby I want to have. Like, I like painting and I like sculpting and editing and doing sound and like this with this like i'm not great at any of those but with this i can kind of use all of those things and i don't have to just pick one i can you know do a little bit of each so it's kind of perfect for me right on well there's other things that we're going to talk about here about some of the movies as well but there's something that we do with everybody that comes on the show and i know ryan we've talked about doing this are you ready to play a round of the legendary well, I don't know if it's legendary or not, but a round of the Classic Five. The Classic Five! I'm ready. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play on the show and on the weekend streams when we do uh, our movies on Saturday on Twitch. Every one of these cards out of this deck has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. There are no wrong answers. It's just questions about monster movies, and it's a way to get monster kids talking. I suspect Ryan and I would have absolutely no trouble finding something to talk about, so I'm not going to call it an icebreaker, but it is something that we like to do with our friends anyway. Are you ready to play around? Yes, I am ready. All right. We call it the Classic Five because we're going to do five questions. Let me give this one more shuffle. All right. Some of these are new questions. Some of these are classics. Ryan, question number one, what classic monster movie needs a restoration? Well, uh, well you got me with that one. Actually, <laughs> there are no wrong answers, man. I heard you talk about this a few shows back, but uh, Strangler of the Swamp, I think. You know, I've got the old DVD and I like it a lot, mostly for the visuals. So just to have a really good looking version of that would be nice and i think i also read that the uh films around the world company that owns that right now is making some sort of deal to uh put some stuff out on uh, physical media so i hope that's part of it i i like that movie a lot when i first stumbled across it what was the last year i fell in love with it uh it's it's really good and yeah i think to have it cleaned up just a little bit more would be awesome I love a good Swamp movie. And actually talking about Swamp movies, my other vote would be Swamp of the Lost Monster. Have you seen that one? Swamp of the Lost Monster. It's a Mexican movie. No luchadors, but uh, it's kind of got this like knockoff kind of Gilman. I like that one a lot. Uh, again, mostly for the visuals. I'm not sure what's happening in it <laughs> most of the time. And it's kind of a kind of a letdown ending, but. It's just one of those things, it, you just put it on and it looks cool, you know, and I'd like to see a good looking version of that too. So I'm not familiar with that film at all. So I went and I, while we're talking here, I just pulled it up and, uh, yeah, that monster looks awesome. Wow. Right. It's kind of like a red creature, but, uh, with like a, I don't know, some kind of gargoyle head instead. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, it is. And there's even, like, somebody put together an animated GIF of it swimming. I'm going to track this movie down. Is it in color? Uh, yes, wow. it is. 
Though, if you find the dubbed version, you wouldn't be able to tell. Kind of looks black and it's so faded out. But uh, huh. there is a Mexican DVD that looks uh, pretty decent, but uh, Blu ray restoration is what I'm looking for, baby. This is awesome. I, th- man, um, I'm, I'm not known for knowing a lot of my Mexican monster movies that don't have luchadors in them. Uh, so whenever I get to talk to somebody and they can bring some attention to one of these things that I've, I've never even heard of, this is this is a win for me. I guess this, this is incredible. I figured, wow, I figured that you'd be all you'd know that one. Yeah, yeah, check that creature, one. yeah, I mean, because it's a creature from the Black Lagoon thing, you know. But wow, this is so cool. <laughs> awesome. All Dude, right, I'm, I'm just we're just gonna end this now because I'm gonna go watch this. Okay, no, I'm just. <laughs> Or maybe it's something we talk about in the future. Huh? Sure, I'd, I'd I'd be willing if uh, you know if we make it through this. <laughs> I'm I'm sure we'll do fine. This is awesome. Wow, this is really cool. Uh, I wonder what the right status is of this because you know what? Moving on. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, this is the best part about the classic five for me is when I get to learn something new or discover a new movie or something like that. That's fantastic. All right. Card number two. <laughs> Favorite John Carradine monster movie? Might have to... Hmm. You know what? The last one that I really remember him from watching is uh, The Unearthly. The Unearthly takes you into horror beyond imagination. Starring John Carradine, a mad menace to humanity, as the scientist possessed by a passion to remake people. Alison Hayes. The beauty slated to be his next victim. Now, my dear, tell me what's bothering you. I don't know, Doctor. I'm just frightened all the time. You mustn't be afraid, not of anything. I want you to have absolute confidence in me. Trust me implicitly. I have found out how now to add to the 16 existing glands a 17th. Artificially developed a new gland. What this gland does to this blonde beauty when it's electrolyted into her body is an experience in horror almost unbelievable. Everything you want from a John Carradine performance, I think, in The Unearthly. He's just at his wacky best. And you get Tor Johnson playing Lobo again. So You can never go wrong with bonus Lobo. Time for go to bed. <laughs> That's what he says in that movie. <laughs> Oh, man, no, that's, that's a good one. Car- Carradine always does well as a mad scientist, so always. Just, yeah. If you've got him playing with beakers and there's a Bunsen burner somewhere, you know you're in for a good time. All right, so uh, I'm going to pull a card from the Monster Bash expansion deck here, since you've done Monster Bash a few times. Who was the last person you've taken a picture with at Monster Bash? I think, I think it was Joshua Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really take many pictures at Monster Bash. I mean, I've been to most of them, honestly, but I'm just never much of a picture taker in general. So I think, but I know I have a picture of me and Josh at uh, the Theseus and the Minotaur premiere. So that, so, <laughs> yep, that's him. Yeah, at these things now, I take more pictures with my friends than the celebrity guests. Although I guess Josh is technically both at this point, right? Yeah, sure he is. Don't tell him that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the brother needs any more confidence. I mean, he's walking up to Martin Beswick. Hey, can I make a music video with you? Come on. Well, when he starts charging $25 for an autograph, then yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. See, that's what we want to avoid. Okay. All right. <laughs> Card number, well, what is this, four? 
Three, four. It's four. Fritz or Igor? Gonna go with Igor. Credit to both of them. But yeah, you gotta love Igor. Well, I mean, Legosi, come on. Yeah, yeah. We're firmly on Team Baylor around here. Oh, yeah. All right, final card. Favorite Terrence Fisher film between these two? Horror of Dracula or The Curse of Frankenstein? Ooh, those are like the two best ones. I know. <laughs> um, I, I lean toward uh, uh, Curse of Frankenstein. More than a hundred years ago, in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. That's the one I saw first, and maybe I need to watch Dracula more. I think I've maybe watched it twice, honestly, and I've watched uh, Frankenstein a lot, so maybe, maybe I need to give Dracula more of a chance, but my answer is Frankenstein. Right on. Well, like I said, no wrong answers, and uh, that's pretty much where I end up as well. So I guess you're right. Uh, that is the right answer. <laughs> Just, I, I feel more invested. Well, it's got more Cushing, you know? And I like Christopher Lee, but yeah. Cushing's my guy. Well, Cushing for the Cushing. There you go. See, I wasn't going to say that, Sorry, but, but, you know, I'm just... <laughs> Always got to push the cush here. Well, that sounds even worse. Anyway. Well, that was the Classic Five, man. The Classic Five! I think you win the Classic Five, which means you get to stay on the show and talk to me about some more stop-motion movies. The topic this time around, we're talking about our top three stop-motion monster movies that don't have anything to do with Harryhausen. I know Harryhausen is the end-all, be-all. He, he did some amazing work. You can always tell when Harryhausen's hands were on a project because it just feels so right. But there were some other stop-motion artists out there as well. There are some that preceded him and proceeded Harryhausen. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of take a look at and shine a spotlight on some of those films and those artists. What do you think? I'm ready. So I'm going to go ahead and go first because I want to go back and forth and let you end on your number one. So for my number three film, and I think you can't talk about stop-motion films without thinking about Harryhausen, but there's somebody else too, and that's Willis O'Brien. And I got to talk about Willis O'Brien. And maybe it's just too unfair to say, or, or maybe it's a cheat. I'm putting Kong on here. Now, there's a reason why King Kong is not my number one, and I'll get to that when we get to my number one spot. I love King Kong so much, but I'm going to put it in my number three spot. King Kong! The horror picture of all time. Don't let him get! A beautiful girl torn from the arms of her lover by a jungle beast. King Kong. I don't know what else I can say about Kong that hasn't been said on this podcast and elsewhere. So that's my number three. That's where I'm going to go with that. Fair enough. I, I, I hope you and I can still be friends. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm glad Kong at least gets a mention because I was kind of counting on you to uh, bring up Willis O'Brien because I did not. Oh, no. <laughs> Nothing against the guy. No, I also love, I mean, King Kong was probably the first time I've ever saw, like, a dinosaur move. Like, I mean, I told you earlier, like, early 80s, there were a lot of other movies out by then. But one day, one of our local stations was playing King Kong. And every stop motion dude says that, like, oh, I saw King Kong on TV when I was 
three or something, but that's what it was. Like I and just that jungle and all the art, the density of like mm-hmm. everything that's on. It's great. Yeah. So yes. So that's my number three. What's your number three? Well, I struggled with this one, but I think it's Monster Kid related enough. It's uh, the Puppetoon movie. Oh. Well, it's another, it's one that I saw when I was really young. There's technically King Kong is in this. Uh, I think it's the model uh, that David Allen, what did David Allen built for the, there was a Volkswagen commercial. He shows up like kind of in, there's a wraparound segment that was, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second. But the bulk of this movie is made up of George Powell's puppetoon short films the before he did mm-hmm. uh, you know the time machine and war of the worlds like in starting out in europe then moving over here he did uh throughout the 30s and 40s these puppetoon shorts that were stop motion but they were uh replacement animation so instead of having like an armatured figure it was uh separately sculpted uh, little pieces that you could get a lot more fluid uh movement and like cartoon like movement out of them it's a beautiful movie, and it's also 2021, so I have to bring up that there is also a buttload of racist imagery in this. But, you know, if you watch a lot of old movies, you know what you have to do to compartmentalize that and enjoy everything else around it. But it's still, I think, you know, historically worth uh, checking out. It also kind of breaks the rules of, uh, you know, if you look closely at the credits, Ray Harryhausen is in there because, of course, he worked on the puppeteer. Sure. He was starting out, too. Before he made Destination Moon, before he made War of the Worlds, before he made The Time Machine, George Pal made Puppetoon. Join your hosts Gumby, Pokey, and Arnie the Dinosaur as they explore the puppet animation masterpieces of George Pal. Enter the magical world of Pal and his rarely seen Academy Award winning puppetoons. All right, let's swing it. A one, a two, a three, a four. It's worth seeing and the reason I wanted to definitely bring this up is because of the wraparound segment that introduces it. It's got Gumby and uh, Arnie the Dinosaur Gumby's kind of directing this scene and he, the dinosaur is supposed to eat this uh, little Bambi type deer. And he's like, Oh, Gumby, I just can't do it because George Powell taught me everything I know. He's such a nice guy. This is really, <laughs> it's, it's cute. And this whole uh, segment was animated by a guy that I wanted to bring up named uh, Pete Clino. When I spent uh, most of the, the 2000s, not doing stop motion, but I was trying to play music. Or I was playing music, trying to, you know, do the best I could at, you know, playing in a band. I lived in a house with uh, band members and, you know, would move all around. And I was kind of focusing on that. And uh, I was playing actually not in that band, but another band separately. And the drummer gave me a CD to check out. He was like, man, check these guys out. He was a classic pittsburgh rock and roll dude he was like the flying burrito brothers i was like okay i'll listen to this and you know it's pretty this psychedelic country music and looking at the cd cover they're all wearing these uh 
you know, cowboy suits with the wacky stuff all over them, except for one guy who's got a like a wizard robe with a pterodactyl on it. I think, oh, that's the guy. So that was Sneaky Pete Klino. And uh, at the same time, I was re-watching uh, The Land of the Lost on DVD, and I saw in the credits the name Pete Klino. And I said, is that the same guy, the pterodactyl guy and the uh, steel pedal guitar from the Flying Burrito Brothers player? Sure enough, uh, this guy... Pete Kleino, who you almost never hear mentioned, uh, for surf music fans, he started out working, he did some stuff on the Ventures, the Ventures in Space album. He possibly did a lot of the space effects that are on that. And he worked with like Neil Young and the Rolling Stones and Stevie Wonder and stuff. But at the same time, he was working on uh, Gumby and the Seven Faces of Dr. Lau and the Outer Limits. And uh, he worked on Caveman Up to like terminator he was doing uh animation so it was like a light bulb moment for me like you can play music and do stop motion like of course like you know these days you have to do everything if you want to be like a creative person you have to be your own like sure manager like but what a cool career that was so i just want to mention pete Kleino. yeah so that's why i decided to work fit the puppetoon movie in there it's also worth seeing it is good right on very cool well i'm going to go to the other side of things with my number two puppetoons awesome but i can't think of a movie that's further removed from puppetoons than my number two and i'm going to go slightly outside of the traditional wheelhouse for monster kid radio i'm going to pick a movie from 1970 it's a movie called equinox and man i love this movie so much (laughs) the invisible barrier between good and evil equinox the weird, the occult, the supernatural, before your very eyes. As four teenage boys and girls challenge a devil cult, fight a fearsome prehistoric monster to save their lives, their sanity, their immortal souls. Equinox in supernatural color. I love Equinox. Uh, you know, I love the DIY aesthetic. I love the story behind it, how it was produced. I, I love that there are so many people who would go on to do so many important things in film. Dennis Buren the biggest name that I can think of off the top of my head right now who was involved with this project. And I just adore uh, this film. And it's got some pretty decent stop motion stuff in it, too. It makes me very happy to see. Oh, uh, yeah so much energy in, in the flying demon guy at the end. Uh, it's definitely, you can say Lovecraftian because it is. And yeah, mm-hmm. Equinox is great. It has been shown at the Lovecraft Film Festival up here. So yeah, I mean, it, it's Lovecraftian enough for me. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I love it. I love it. So Equinox is my number two. And I've never talked about the movie proper here on the show. I keep thinking about it, but there's so many other movies to talk about, too. But one of these days, I'll talk about Equinox. I love it. Yeah, you'll never run out, but uh, I would like, true. I'd love to hear an Equinox episode. So, yeah. All right, well, what about you, man? What's your number two? Similar. I went with a very low-budget 70s movie. Well, all these I kind of grew up with, but Planet of Dinosaurs. <laughs> Is that the one with the Millennium Falcon on the poster? Yes, I think so. I think there was a poster. <laughs> Planet of Dinosaurs. Another world beyond infinity, beyond imagination. Planet of Dinosaurs. Ten-ton titans of terror flash in a savage struggle for survival. Blazing lasers. Cosmic combat. Lethal lizards. Planet of Dinosaurs. 
in cosmic color. This movie is nothing if not a stop motion movie. Like there's really no other reason to watch it. Well, I mean, actually, I do. I wish the soundtrack to this was available. I secretly uh, did rip the music off of it so I could listen to it on my MP3 player. But yeah, I love Planet of Dinosaurs. Every movie I picked, I kind of brought up because there's an animator that I want to talk about. And the guy who I want to bring up from Planet of Dinosaurs is Steve Cherkis, Stephen Cherkis who sculpted all the dinosaurs in the movie. And he went on to do uh, the sculpture and co-animation on uh, Jason of Star Command, the old show that oh, was... Oh, wow. A, that's a good one. <laughs> if I don't know if you... That, that's probably in your time frame. I'm familiar with it. I haven't thought about it in years, but yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he worked on films for a while, and then... He went on to have a career in paleontology, and he kept doing uh, dinosaurs sculptures. He was he discovered uh, or helped discover uh, some of the first uh, meat-eating dinosaur skin impressions. So he oh. would do these full-size dinosaur sculptures with like actual dinosaur skin stamped onto them. I read a lot of books when I was growing up by him or with at least photos of his sculptures in them. He wrote a little book. It's mostly for a well, he wrote a few books, but one about his life that's generally for kids. But in that, he mentions that his father was a set designer and a title painter. For uh, He worked for Universal for a while, and he painted the titles for Creature from the Black Lagoon. So when you watch the credits for that, oh, that's this. I just had to bring it up because it's a creature connection. Yeah. yeah. And he founded a dinosaur museum with his wife. Well, he passed away recently, but... One of the last uh, books, I think it was the last book his wife finished it, was about Herbert M. Dolly. I'm using animators to bring up other animators. I'm sorry. I'm, this is my chance to nerd out. <laughs> I don't hey, know. No, it's all good, man. I don't know if Derek's ever going to have me on again after this, but I was like, better get it all out now. <laughs> he is the guy who pretty much uh, rediscovered the film Along the Moonbeam Trail. You've probably seen like willis o'brien's work on the the lost world and if you have that blu-ray it's got uh, another early short called uh, ghost of slumber mountain well ghost of slumber mountain is the first time that uh, dinosaurs and live action humans are in the same film together the film that dolly made after this was uh, along the moonbeam trail which is the first one to actually put stop motion and live action into the same shot at the same time. And this was lost Mm. years and kind of got covered up by the Willis O'Brien. Well, there's a whole, there's a legal dispute and uh, a lot of really, it's an interesting, interesting book if you're into this stuff, but this film is back and I I don't want to sling any mud at willis o'brien because he's also a legend and a you know hero he doesn't you know but it's it's worth if anyone doesn't know about this story look into herbert dolly and uh his kind of contribution that was kind of uh you know we trace everything back to king kong and the lost world and say this is the birth of you know, modern special effects cinema, but it actually kind of goes back to another guy who didn't get the uh, credit and was kind of painted as sort of a villain just in the stop motion fan uh, dogma that kind of went around. It's, it's, it's interesting. And it all just came up like a couple of years ago. So 
Hmm. Check out Stephen Cherkis and Herbert M. Dolly. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this story. I'm going to have to do some digging, and I'm real curious about all this now. Yeah, wow. So that's my number two. <laughs> this to- is gr- this. That's I'm blowing, great, the lid off, I'm blowing the lid off this whole thing, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm taking notes. I don't know why I'm taking notes. I'm going to go back and listen to this one. I edit it anyway. Then I'll take notes then. So moving along. Um, <laughs> that's No, that's great, man. Oh, wow. Along the Moonbeam Trail. I'm going to look into that, too. Neat. Well, I'm going to go back to O'Brien for my number one. But before I get there, um, I just... You know, I got to throw a couple of honorable mentions out there. Uh, I mean, these are fun movies. Are, are they the best movies in the world? No, but I love Reptilicus. Uh, I love Dinosaurus. I, I know the special effects in those don't really hold up compared to some of the other movies we've talked about here. But I love them, nonetheless, for what they are. Dinosaurus is another. I've struggled with not for a long time. I mean, a couple of years ago, when you first brought this up, Dinosaurus would have been my number three. But, uh, yeah. You already did a show on that, so... Yeah, Dinosaurus is, you know, pretty cool. Um, I even like the stop-motion, the limited amount of it, in the Crater Lake Monster from 77. But I think my tastes are a little bit more skewed than <laughs> most when it comes to some of this lower-budget stuff. Uh, but I'm going to go back to O'Brien for my number one. Before I get there, do you have any uh, honorable mentions you'd like to throw out there? Some of that stuff you just mentioned, yeah, that that would be... I mean, if it could have been a top 10 or top 20 show, you know... <laughs> Oh, sure. But uh, I'll keep it tight. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with what you said. Well, my number one, like I said, goes back to Willis O'Brien. And if, if I remember correctly, it may be one of the, if not the last thing he worked on, which was the Black Scorpion. Most terrifying news of all. At nightfall, monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa. Having lost family or friends, something absolutely unknown, he could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The Black Scorpion destroys communication. I love this film. Um, I, I love the stop motion. I hate. I hate that they did a weird insert close up of the monster face uh, that just wasn't necessary. And I, and I know Chris Mim kind of played off that in the giant spider, and it's kind of charming in that. But just I, I wasn't really a big fan of it. But. I like the movie overall. It's got Richard Denning, who's my guy. I love Richard Denning. Uh, and and I, I like the aesthetic of this kind of southwestern town this, this and a monster running out and doing stuff. And it's not a, it's not a lizard, you know, it's, it's a giant bug, which I also really enjoy. So yeah, The Black Scorpion for me, it's just, it's right up there. It's one of my favorite films, period. Mara Corday's in it, and I can't get enough of Mara Corday. Don't tell Julie Adams. And just, you know, it's such a... <laughs> Such a great film. Plus, I think the DVD's got some extra special features on it of some extra footage that was uh, Pete Peterson who'd worked on. Uh, Pete Peterson, yeah. yeah for some uh, work on the Animal World, which never got done, uh, from what I understand. Animal World, I think that was Harryhausen. Yeah. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, there's the I'm mixing the it up, Las aren't Vegas I? Monster. Yeah, that's it. I'm mixing it up. The Las Vegas Monster. That's right. I'm that guy. I got. I have my red pen in my brain. I'm glad you said <laughs> so, something because I was I was drawing a blank on it. Um, I was mixing it up. No, you're right. Animal World was the one that did come out. The Vegas Monster, and there was another piece on there as well. But it's just it's some cool stuff. It's a great DVD or or Blu-ray at this point. But yeah, the movie itself, I just really enjoy. So. That's why it's my number one here. I know I just ranked the Black Scorpion over King Kong, and I'm going to catch some flack for that. But, you know, I love the Black Scorpion so much. You won't get any flack from me on that. Yeah, Black Scorpion, that's a good one. Yeah. I, that's one that would have been on my list, uh, possibly, too, had, had it been a top five or, you know, depending on the, the day, really. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, right? Ask me again tomorrow. And maybe King Kong will be number one. You know, it, it, I did just see King Kong again. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. These things change all the time. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, what's your number one today, anyway? Okay. Well, uh, for my number one, I am going with uh, Journey to the Beginning of Time. Come travel with these four adventurous boys as they explore the past in an exciting expedition that takes them 300 million years back through the ages in their journey to the beginning of time. An extraordinary recreation of history, acclaimed by Dr. Edwin H. Colbert of the American Museum of Natural History as absolutely authentic, a thrilling and enlightening adventure story of the development of life on Earth. Look out! They've seen us! Here they come! Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> the rest of them of the movies on my list I saw when I was or probably around four or five. This one I don't think I saw until like a little bit later. Like I might have been a teenager. Like, but if I had seen this when I was a kid, it would be my favorite movie for sure. This is uh, a Carl Zeman film. A couple of years ago, when you first asked me about doing this topic, I probably would have ranted like, where is a Criterion edition of Carl Zeman's movies? And like, now there is one. I don't have it, but I have the other Blu-rays. They're fine. If anyone's not familiar, you can't go wrong with uh, any of Carl Zeman's uh, movies. There is a nice Criterion box. It's like a pop-up book, but he is a Czech animator and director. A lot of people would call him the Czech Harryhausen or the Czech Meliers. He wasn't talked about a lot in the U.S. There is a museum for him, though, in his home country. And uh, when you watch his stuff, you definitely get the sense of where Terry Gilliam and Tim Burton, even like Wes Anderson, are coming from, like with their visual styles. You can kind of say like, oh, they all kind of got something from this guy. And he would do stop motion, but he would also have like a kind of flat cutout animation and matte paintings and like all sorts of things going on in, in the same shot that's makes it really different from the kind of stop motion like monster movies that we would see over here. This is definitely a science fiction movie. Like that's kind of inarguable, but it's it's these four boys that just get in a canoe and they want to find a trilobite and they go back, they sail upstream on this river that just goes back through the history of life on earth and all of the uh creatures are kind of based on uh these paintings by like if you ever picked up an old dinosaur book at the library which i did they were painted by uh what's the guy's name zdenyek 
Burry on. <laughs> anyway, this Czech painter who just did like these beautiful like dinosaur paintings and prehistoric paintings, and it's like looking at one of these books that has just like come to life and is is moving around, and it's just it's just great. I watch it like it's a guided meditation to relax. It's not exactly action packed, but it's a special movie. It's good. So that's my number one. I think I've shown that on the stream a while back at one point. Um, it, it's really neat. And that's only his second film. He would do, he would go on to do a handful of movies. Uh, and there is a museum in Czechoslovakia. It is still up and running now. You can go to the CarlZemanMuseum.com website. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And before that Criterion set came out years ago, uh, Steve Sullivan told me about this guy and that you could buy some of the movies on DVD from the museum. So I went to the museum's website and figured out how to, to work it and get them to send me uh, a collection of eight of his movies on disc from his homeland, basically. <laughs> uh, so I have them, but I would love to get my hands on that uh, Criterion set. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to get my hands on that. It's running for like about 80 bucks right now. They have a sale usually at some point. Or you can get it straight from the museum for like a hundred something dollars. But, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's a link in the show notes. It, it's a great little set. They come in these slim cases, these DVD slim cases, and you get Journey to the Beginning of Time, Fabulous World of Jules Verne, uh, Fabulous Baron Munchausen, Stolen Airship, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and a whole bunch of other ones. It's, it's just awesome. And they're all English subtitled. Really cool stuff. Plus uh, documentaries prepared by the museum itself. Yeah. Neat stuff, man. Well, good call on that. Wow, we were all over the place. We went from, from the like you said, the Czech Harryhausen to Equinox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, just uh, as long as it's not boring. That's the ethos around here. That's the, the creed. That's what we live by when it comes to these monster movies. Equinox never bores me. None of these movies bore me. Uh, Journey to the Beginning of Time... I think the version we showed was dubbed. I think it would hold up a little bit better subtitled, but it's still just a beautiful film. It's a really neat little quest that yeah. they go on. And if you watch the dubbed version, half of the, I mean, they changed the characters' names. So half the dialogue is the rest of the guys screaming, Jojo, Jojo. Cause they changed the name to Jojo and it gets, it's a little greater, but <laughs> that's the, I, no. I have a kid who's, four and you know he watches uh, a lot of short attention span stuff you know but he wanted to watch something with uh, dinosaurs one day and i thought well let me put this movie on and i mean there are sequences where some of the kids are just kind of wandering around but it's not like the vibe is so different from like lost continent the 50s one where you know it's all like rock climbing it's not filler it's kind of a point of view of like just you're going on a nature walk through the woods and you see there's stuff interspersed throughout it like you see like a flock of prehistoric birds and something else through like it's a can be slow paced there's always something always something going on there's many more times the effect shots that it even looks like there are in that movie mm -hmm. it's great yeah sorry i just rambled i could keep going about no it. and I'm, I'm glad you did because i mean that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on here and i'm so sorry that it took so long to do it because this is this is something that as much as i love my monster movies i can go on and on and on about the hammer stuff or the universal stuff and i'm getting to that point with the luchador stuff but there's so much more out there when it comes to stop motion in particular i've got some pretty 
big gaping holes in my knowledge when it comes to stop motion. So to have somebody on here who's passionate about it, who does it, who has done it and and loves it the way that you do and parenting when you're passing it on to your kid. I mean, bonus. <laughs> you, you said earlier the Godzilla toy is being used as a bath toy. That that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're about to we're honestly about to ban King Kong in this house though because the King Kong play acting is getting pretty intense. So. Oh. <laughs> it's cute. It's good. I think uh, my wife is a but uh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so to have somebody on who knows more about this than me and can bring some more enthusiasm to it and, and get me pointed off in different directions about some of this stuff, I love it. And I think the listeners are going to dig it too. Do you have anything coming up that you want to talk to? Do you have any projects you're working on? Anything like that? Has Josh talked to you about doing anything else for him? I mean, I've told Josh that, you know, anytime he needs anything and he's in absolutely no hurry, like, give me a call, you know. Let me know, and you know I'm there for him. Uh, other than that, I think it's time for me to do another Beast short. I kind of have it all kind of figured out in my head. There are some things, like I, I want to do a miniature drive-in and use uh, one of those really small like digital projectors to project on a little uh, screen and then do like a frame-by-frame advance on that. Just have an in-camp, wow. like, you know, that's kind of the, what they would do in King Kong to kind of project front projection onto a little card or something. So King Kong can reach down and grab it, uh, you know, J- Jack Armstrong or something, you know, but, sure. uh, but that's my next move. That sounds incredibly cool. I love the idea of advancing things. What, and it's a wait, man. Now I'm starting to ramble so much. My words aren't making sense. I love the idea of doing that kind of homage to front projection but doing it in a way that is unique and organic to whatever setting or story you're telling there with the drive-in setup. I think that's cool. That's just awesome. I'm also just excited to uh, take like a lot of the stuff I've learned from working on these films with Josh and then take it back to kind of what I started out with, just doing tabletop stuff, just building miniature sets and things like that. I enjoy all that too. Uh, It'll be, I don't know. I feel like this might be the first time I go into a project kind of knowing what I'm doing or getting into. So I hope it's I hope it's cool. Right on. Well, I wish you the best of luck on that. And uh, I know that your YouTube channel has the two movies on there right now. Is that the best place for people to go to kind of keep up with you? Or do you have a presence anywhere else you want to send people to? I do have an Instagram. I'm not sure exactly what my handle is on that. I think it's uh, R-Y-L-E-N-G-Y. Look for me on Instagram. That's the best way. I'll put a lot of art stuff, uh, maybe some uh, family stuff on there. But that's where I'm most active. I will make sure there's a link to that as well. And I think I think my cat Wednesday follows you. I'll be able to. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fan of Wednesday potatoes. That's right. That's right. So I'll make sure if I can't find it, I'll ask her where it's at. But uh, I just pulled it up right now. And, yeah, I'm seeing some pictures from – oh, wow. Is that the Kong armature? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, yep, wow. that's from a – that was the best vacation ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew that because Wednesday made a comment about how she could take it. I don't remember that. Okay. Actually, if you have time for one more story, actually listening to uh, Monster Kid Radio back when uh, you talked to uh, Frank Dietz about the – documentary he did about bob burns yeah yeah and that's i ordered that dvd 
and I watched it with my wife and she kind of surprised me. And for my birthday, that's where we went. We went on our uh, vacation that year. She kind of sent it. And actually I met this all ties together in a weird way. Like when I, it was like my 15th birthday, I think I got my family to take me to uh, my favorite <laughs> antique flea market because there was a guy there who sold all sorts of monsters, old memorabilia and stuff. I got there. It's just a place in central Pennsylvania. And, uh, Bob Burns was there walking around oh. with his uh, entourage. And I asked the guy who ran the stand, like, is that Bob Burns from Bob's basement? Because I knew about him from a uh, sci-fi, the sci-fi channel at that time had a show that would have a segment every once in a while called like Bob's basement, where they look at one of his props and, you know, he'd be his awesome self and talk about it and being goofy. And I think he, I kind of caught him off guard because he's not a guy who generally gets recognized like, outside of uh, Burbank or among like film people or something, just like to be in Pennsylvania looking for monster stuff or whatever he was mm -hmm. doing there. And so he, he had a photo album along and I got to flip through and say, like, wow, he has King Kong and he has this prop from dinosaurs and from, he has one of the uh, Ghidra's heads. Like nobody has any from Toho in, a, in the U S they're pretty protective about like letting that stuff go. But he, you know, it was, it was it was a cool day. So that kind of brought it. I mean, when we went to visit him, he was uh, not when we actually got to Burbank, he was not feeling very well, which I won't go into too right. much. But I, we didn't actually get to visit with Bob that day. But Kathy, you know, showed us all around and we were just there for hours and she was just chatting about, the, you know, the local bakeries. And you know, it was it was a cool it was it was amazing. <laughs> uh, there is a picture if you dig into your Instagram. Not that I'm cyber stalking you right now, but there is a picture of you posing with Bob Burns on your 15th birthday uh, at the flea market. Yeah, <laughs> yep, that's how yeah. cool is it, that? It really happened, but but yeah, Monster Kid Radio. I kind of have have to thank for that too. So you know, so thanks again, Derek. Thank and and thanks for for having me on. This has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this. And we are not going to wait years upon years before I have you back on. I am going to track down that. What was it? The Swamp of the Lost Monster or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I will track that down. I'll watch it and I'll have you back on to talk about it. If you're down. Definitely. Yeah. Sign me up. What is the eerie secret behind the seven faces of Dr. Lau? Do they come from another world, or are they just one mysterious being? When more unusual pictures are made, you may be sure George Powell will make them. His War of the Worlds, Time Machine, and Destination Moon are now joined by the strange and fascinating adventures of Dr. Lau and his amazing companions. You wish your future told? How do you do? The name is Merlin. I am the greatest magician the world has ever known. <laughs> Hi there. Do I look familiar to you? What in the world is a Medusa? A Medusa, dear heart, is a creature with uh, snakes on her head. And uh, if you look at her face, you turn to stone. I'll show her! What kind of oriental hocus-pocus is going on around here? I, sir, am a major mystery. Out of nowhere he came. 
a mysterious stranger. And for those he opposed or defended, life was never again the same. This town ain't big enough for you and me, partner. A magician, surely, but one who made his magic with such things as love's young dream and the fun in a little boy's heart. Here truly is entertainment for all ages. I was born in the year 1204. I am 7,322 years old. I'm eight going on nine. Here is the mysterious beauty of the Far East and the roaring action of the Far West. The thrill spectacle of the city that never was and the most fabulous fish story in history. A genuine bona fide sea serpent. In the water, he is small, insignificant, petite. But out of the water, and he doubles his size every 10 seconds until he reaches his full growth. Just imagine a sea monster who can't stand the water. How about that? Oh, oh, I got him. Oh, I got him. <laughs> That's showbiz. deep into the minds and bodies of these residents of a remote mountain community. We're up against something here. It goes against every natural law. Crater Lake Monster, a creature from the dawn of time, unleashed by a freak of nature to prey on an unsuspecting world. Out of this lake, carved in the high mountains, is spawned one of the most hideous beasts from the birth of time. Crater Lake Monster, a motion picture of unrelenting suspense, fright, and panic. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for doing everything that you do to be part of Monster Kid Radio. I love having you guys and gals here and having the Monster Kids rally around this podcast because it means we can all hang out together and talk about our favorite topic, monster movies. And if you want to talk about your favorite topic, your favorite monster movies, or just leave some feedback, this is how you do it. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at... 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. And you know what? If you want to put me on blast for how I ranked King Kong in my top three, bring it on. I will make an episode out of it or something. I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, I had a really good time on this episode. So special thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Kenny and thanks to Mark. Really appreciated having them as part of the show as well. Now you can find out everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, 
and our Reddit. We are trying to take over, well, not really take over, but we're trying to make our presence known at a, more than a few places online. So if you use any of these services or all of them, hit us up. We'd love to interact with you on Discord, on Reddit, on Facebook, whatever. Also on our website, you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. You're even going to find links that are our Amazon affiliate links. So if you want to pick up any of the movies that we've talked about in this episode, please consider using the Amazon link because it helps us out a little bit. Even if you're not going to buy anything that we talked about on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, if there's something that you've been waiting to pick up on Amazon, doesn't have to even be monster related, please use one of the Amazon links to buy it because when you do that, you stay within the Monster Kid Radio Amazon affiliate thing and we still get credit for that and it helps us out so you're not spending any extra money on anything you're still getting the same price you would get on anything you'd get on Amazon it's just that they kick a tiny tiny percentage to us and it just like I said really helps us out you can also help us out by being part of our Patreon there's a link to that next week's episode we are going to be doing the roll call for everybody who supports the show at the AIP level or higher so you still have time to get in on some of that action if you wanted to do that also next week what's coming up on the show well I think we're going to have Alistair Hughes back on the show. He hasn't been on the show in a little while. He's an author. He's one heck of an illustrator. And he's a huge fan of the Hammer film Moon Zero Two. Yeah, we're going to be talking about a Hammer film next week. Their proper science fiction opera. Their science opera. Their fantasy. Their science fantasy. You know, it's on the moon. It's a movie that takes place in the future. Kind of. So- you know what? It's a movie that's really hard to describe. So... I think that's what we're going to talk about next week. So make sure you come back for that. And you know what? It occurred to me that next week's episode is the last episode of April, which means we are moving into the month of Lucha de... I'm going to do it now because you know what? I was getting it perfect. I was saying Lucha de Mayo the whole time. No problem. And then y'all started telling me I said it wrong. I said I was saying Mayo again and I wasn't saying Mayo again. It's Lucha de Mayo. That's happening next month. Which means that we're going to talk about some luchador monster movies, even though I don't have anything recorded or anything lined up or anything at all. I've got some ideas. I've got some people I want to reach out to. I got the craving for some men in some masks, wrestling monsters. I mean, come on. Okay, that's not really any different. That happens more than in just May. But anyway, that's what's coming up on the show. This weekend at the Monster Kid Movie Club, which is our Twitch stream, where you can watch movies with us every Saturday for a good eight-hour block, starting at 11 a.m. Pacific, which is when the pre-show starts. At noon, the movie starts. It's Vampire Day. We're going to be showing movies like Vampire and The Werewolf versus the Vampire Women. I think that's right. And Condemned to Live. That's the other movie that we are confirmed to show right now. We're going to be showing at least two other movies. I've got a couple of things in the works. I'm hoping to get permission to show. So make sure you come over for that to watch these movies with us. It's totally free. There's a live chat. I'm there. Scott's there. uh, Because he does the pre-show. Kenny's there. He typically, and I can tell you this week, he definitely does have a video look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. It's going to be a good time. So I'd love to see you over there. And then on Tuesday, we're doing the Astronomy Club at the same place. A couple of science fiction movies, Warning from Space and The End of the World. And then at the end of the night, Jeff Pullier and I are going to be talking about the Star Trek episode, Amok Time. So that'll be coming up 
as well. Lots of stuff coming up in the future here on Monster Kid Radio. So stay tuned and keep listening to the podcast that, uh, you know, um, this one. I don't, I don't know. It's late, gang. I want to go to bed. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, I See Them Heads, But Not Them Bodies. That is copyright 2020. Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. It's from their self-titled album, Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion, which you can pick up over at ghostscorpion.bandcamp.com. Dot com. Pick up the entire digital album and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we talk about Moon Zero Two. I'm never going to sing that again. Ciao. Ciao.